0: Man, Ty is so excited in there. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this gave me some newfound respect for uh, car racing. Oh, hell yeah.
1: I mean, I'm not, I've am not i never been a car racing guy, but I've always been an Italian-American guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can tell. Hell yes. All right, welcome everybody to the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm your co-host, Don Vitola, sitting here next to my co-host, uh, Chris Quinn, and... Uh, this is a first for the Sports Experience podcast today. We're going to talk about car racing.
0: And I was going to say, it's pretty much every single aspect of car racing that this guy was in. He had his fingers in all of it, baby. We talked about uh, Pete Maravich
1: transcending race, ombre. This dude transcended all of car racing with his driving ability. Mario Andretti. Mario Andretti, born February 28th, along with his twin brother, Aldo, in Montona, Italy, uh, which is now uh, on the Istrian Peninsula, of course, but now a part of Croatia and uh, formerly Yugoslavia. And uh, the reason I wanted to bring that up is uh, this is very important. And probably the reason he became such an American uh, car racing star is i'm gonna get Spurgy on history with you for a moment i'm just gonna go full asperger's for you so in uh world war one italy was on the allied side and uh they had this idea of irredentism where they would bring all the italian people into one country known as italy and there were pockets of heavily italian populated places not only in north italy near austria and uh switzerland and germany but also as you headed towards the adriatic uh down towards the balkans and where montana uh is from or where is located is on the istrian peninsula where croatia is now currently and after the first world war because all of the allies thought italy didn't pitch in and uh, go look up the uh, Battle battle diosanzo and anything in the piave they definitely gave enough um they didn't give italy these specific regions like montana or any places on the istrian peninsula or along the dalmatian coast to italy post-war they basically just set them and let them be and gave them to Yugoslavia. And because Andretti was born in 1940, even though they gave Italy all these Germanic speaking areas in the North and the Alps, um, what ends up happening post-World War II, because Yugoslavia is a communist country, the uh, Croats were uh, part of the fascists, a number of them. Um, what ends up happening uh, post World War II, forty six to uh, about nineteen fifty, is they start expelling Italians in these large, heavily Italian populated places, which had existed basically forever. And uh, so
0: they start essentially expelling these Italians and differentiating who's Italian and who's Croatian, or at and that time who's Yugoslavian. Part of Yugoslavian. Yeah, yeah.
1: and uh, Andretti's family gets caught in the crosshairs. Yep. And uh, fortunately for American racing, but unfortunately for the Andretti family, uh, they're fucked.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, I thought I had a couple of quotes from him from his early life that I thought was so interesting. He, uh, Born in 1940, he said they were essentially born into war. They didn't know anything other than war. They had no idea. And then they were moved into a refugee camp. So their beginning life was very much always around their family always kind of in this very tight-knit area of his brother and his sister and his mom and his dad and they said when they were expelled from croatia they would go around and like every family would be given like a little truck and they'd be like pack up your shit you're yeah, out of here the, and that was it that, that that's how the commies handled
1: business yeah and they had no choice even though they had been there for centuries and just ethnically italian living their life doing their thing over there in istria didn't matter it, no it yeah. didn't matter they wanted every fascist or fascist adjacent obviously they weren't fascist supporters but i mean anything that could be associated with it just to leave yeah and they were forced to leave like and his
0: t- his father was uh the manager essentially of like six or seven farms and was this had this life laid out for them that was essentially destroyed um, and we could talk about other countries get, you know, other yeah. citizens, in, but this is, we're they, talking to Andretti's and they, they had World no allegiance. They were yeah. just farmers. They were, it, that's what I'm trying to get at. They were just literal, literally citizens, farmers trying to get by and they get moved into this refugee camp in and, uh
1: Luca in Tuscany.
0: Yep. And Luca, and he said, a lot of people thought it was one of the worst, you know, living situations but he said his family was so happy that they didn't really realize it yeah even though he said
1: his dad left everything behind they left everything they knew behind they were just grateful to basically be there and still be a family because you know under tito they were just murdering everyone it's like oh my god we're all still here all right we'll take that and put it in the bank
0: Because they lived in a room, essentially the size of the room we're in right now, which is not very big, with seven other families, and these little areas were essentially divided by army sheets. So very thin sheets divided entire families' living areas.
1: Yeah, and they had no choice. I mean, it was either you pack your shit and leave, or the commies are going to murder you.
0: Yes. And it's very, yes. Yes that's
1: what ended up happening, but he was almost born into racing. Like he oh, was yeah. like Ricky Bobby.
0: Like I want to go fast. Yeah, no, that's what his mom said when he was like him and his brother, Aldo, very young, were very attracted to this bracing. Like they had little boxcar, you know, races and, and shit like that. Cause
1: I've, I've seen pictures of, uh, I'm not familiar with what they call it now. Um, sorry, Croatian people. I'm not familiar with what the new name, the, uh, you know, uh, Serbo-Croatian name for the city is, but you look at it, and it, it's an Italian town. It the way that it's designed with the hills and oh, everything uh, else. Motovon? Uh yeah, Motovon.
0: I believe is the the. Sorry for butching it, butchering it. That, but that's okay. <laughs> it, it's you're right though. It's very built like they could have racing tracks on it.
1: You'd look at it as an Italian city on the Adriatic yes. for whatever's left. You yes. know what I mean? But uh, yeah, they would build these boxcars and just go fast. Like he talked about a story when he asked his dad for a bike because him and Aldo had to share everything. And yep. he was like, I would like a bike, you know, for our birthday. And uh, his dad was like, oh, I bought you a horse.
0: <laughs> yeah. And he said his dad ended up just kind of taking the horse because they didn't want the horse.
1: It, it's like that asshole husband who buys his wife something, but it's specifically for him.
0: A bowling ball with his fingers. Come right, on, Right people. there, Homer Simpson. Um, but he, he said... He's him and his brother started parking cars. And the first time he was behind the wheel, he said it was like this feeling that he was just like, This is what I'm meant to do on this planet. Yeah, he
1: said vroom vroom twice. It's yeah. <laughs> pretty good. But uh, yeah, they uh, they're staying in Italy, they have family obviously in America. And uh, at that time, the uh, immigration laws were different, so they had to wait for a pretty extended period in this basically refugee settlement because that's the only place it could be taken in at
0: well that's what he said was his dad pretty much hustled for about three or four years with this intent of moving his entire family to america because i think it was his dad's brother who lived there yeah
1: his dad's brother lived there and i i find it fascinating especially as an italian american because you see the grit of these people you see like we don't want to go anywhere we're from istria we're italian this is our home this has been our home forever extenuating circumstances not getting one to, not getting want to be murdered by communists that type of deal you're like well fuck we got to make something work you know we're settled here in italy we're foreign i mean the difference between Istria and tuscany is so vast yeah so culturally even ethnically vast You're just like, what's the best situation for my family? And his father and uh, his mother, uh, Rena, they made the decision to say, it's all about legacy. And that's what my old man always used to preach to me. It's like, it's all about legacy. It's always about giving back to the following generation. And my God, reading about this, it brought tears to my eyes to read about this, honestly, is just like, well, these are some fantastic people who did it right by their family.
0: Yeah. Like you were saying, like the legacy, his his dad had this life built for them. And he had a it was, sweet setup. And it was kind of destroyed. And then he made this conscious decision like, hey, I'm going to try and get what I think is your best opportunity for a great life, which was America. And like like we were saying, it's not an easy... Trek. It's not like they're saving up for a couple of months and they're just going to go stay with their uncle. Like they literally had to save for years and years and dedicate their entire livelihood and when to they, this.
1: And when they showed up in America, they had $125 Ex- to their name. Exactly. It's not is... like they
0: were coming with a nest egg. It and was, they spent everything to get there and, and sold everything. I'll go on a rant here.
1: Um, yeah, you can take Columbus out of Columbus Day, but that is our holiday as Italian Americans. You rename it Mario Andretti Day or Joe DiMaggio. Day or Frank Sinatra Day, then we can talk turkey. Hot Wheels Delano Roosevelt gave us that
0: goddamn day, and you better do right by it. I just decided I'm going to start naming you Nikki Tangent when you start going on <laughs> tangent. Oh shit, Nikki Tangent's in here. Gold chains and all. Hell yeah, in my fucking tracksuit. He is an Italian American hero, fuckwads. Well, that's a, like we, we've talked about it. That's originally why that holiday was given, but you know what? That's a different podcast. That's a different podcast
1: for a bunch of hippie commies to discuss the but
0: history experience on a different network
1: there we go but uh no they end up uh what he ended up learning though in italy is he finally got exposed to car racing
0: oh yes and, and, and
1: visualizing and it. visualizing it and being like oh my god this thing is so awesome because he used to park cars outside the opera house yep. everything there in lucca and uh, when he was 13 um he went to the uh, Formula Junior race. Um, He uh, watched the Mille Miglia in 1954 and fell in love with uh, Alberto Ascari, which was like his, not necessarily mentor, but like when you're a kid and you're watching a sport and you're like, that's the guy I want to be.
0: He was his idol. Yeah, he was
1: his idol. Yeah,
0: Ascari had, I think, as many Grand Prix wins as he ended up having, and he was so in awe of this man yeah. That he talks about him and he was just like me and my brother essentially thought he was the greatest, you know, human car ever. racer. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, but yeah, human, like you said, they were just like, this is our hero. This is our like, hero. Yeah. This dude operating this, you know, thing that came out in the last 50 years, just dominating.
0: And I bet it's because this is this era of cars not being everywhere and they start to show up everywhere. So in this and not so much in Italy, but I think when he moves to America, it's a lot more prevalent that we see essentially this this car movement happening.
1: Yeah. And particularly in America over Italy, more people can afford to have even just a regular car to drive, not just like, you know, going around a racetrack. It's like, oh, man, I can soup this up. This pretty seems pretty sweet. I mean, just awesomeness and in uh, 1955 at 15 he uh him and his family finally get to come to america and uh they settle in uh, nazareth which is in uh the lehigh valley area of uh pennsylvania and uh Then him and Aldo start to uh, find out about how awesome
0: driving cars are. Well, they come to America and I think they said like two or three days after they came, they found a track and they were were just like, oh my God. It was like a mile and
1: a half track where they could just dick around and be like, all right, well, I did this today. How can I make this better?
0: Yep. And that's when they literally start to learn how to be race car drivers because they're pushing each other. That's the thing that I found really interesting is these twin brothers are, I mean, there's going to be one car, but they're they're essentially pushing each other to be these bracers. And they're in a 48 Hudson that they
1: work on in their Guido uncle's garage, which yep. is just so perfect. Yep, Just they earn, so perfect. They
0: earn money with their with their uncle in his garage to work on this 48 Hudson to enter it into these competitions. And they're not telling their parents about Woo! it. <laughs> and this is where it's like the classic story where yep. he's like Aldo was going around the turn and I was like, he's going too fast. He's going yep. too fast. And he just flips it. And Aldo's like i just went it just went blank i was like i I was like completely unconscious and this is bright i think this is in 1958 or 59 Uh um and although he says he wakes up and he just sees his dad and i was like oh my dad i feel so bad for him because he's just like crying like what are you guys doing because car racing back then was so dangerous Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to
1: uh, let you know that our sports experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here. And uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Oh, yeah. No. And I mean, when you think of the history of car racing, it's basically invented because of our shitty government's prohibition policies.
0: Yeah. A bootlegging.
1: Yeah. You're just like, oh, man, booze is legal again. What are we supposed to do with these awesome souped-up cars that we used to go county to county with with moonshine? Yeah, and why don't we race each other? I'll tell you what, let's race these motherfuckers.
0: <laughs> I'll tell you what, give me some of that moonshine and we'll see what's what. <laughs> let's take let's let's drink some moonshine and race these. <laughs> that was when boys were boys and deaths were more prevalent. Yes, right. prevalent. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a it's such a ridiculous thing, but that's what we were saying like it, it's so much more unregulated no it's
1: it's unregulated you're basically dealing with mad scientists and dudes who just say if you're not first you're last ricky bobby Ooh, i love that but that's like, the mentality it it's and they had brought it up and we'll talk about it for his indy 500 win it's like astronauts It's oh, yeah almost like astronauts in the respect that like there's a great unknown you have these souped up bootlegging cars stock cars let's go and race them yep you get know, a uh, somebody like Mario who's like oh man I spent like half a decade in a refugee camp what do I care
0: <laughs> like no seriously and that the dream <laughs> that was one of the things that he said was if he didn't feel like he was going too fast it wasn't worth it or something yeah. you know what i mean like it wasn't gonna win essentially like he definitely pushed every single corner he could
1: adrenaline junkies
0: yeah they are and in 60 and uh,
1: 61 he won 21 of 46 races in modified uh, stock car racing
0: whoa when you say modified you mean those little uh, lp cars
1: little uh, lp
0: little uh, three-fourths car yeah. now i'm gonna say the word but i just want to say this is exactly what they were called they were called midget cards because they were three-fourths the size short but, people cars oh damn it <laughs> but this little is something cars. that he i want to point this out because he's this is where he starts in this single um cedar kind of car like a. Uh, Basically an Indy car. An Indy car. Exactly. Yeah. And he goes out and he does like, I think he does like a hundred in these and he's really doing well, but he can't get any kind of sponsorship. He can't get a car. And that's where we see him go over to what I think is sprint car. Yeah. Sprint car. Mm-hmm. And that, this is where I think, no, uh, sprint car and stock car both of them yeah and this is where i think he transcends the sport because he literally will race with anything on anything and that's what i found so fascinating researching about him outside of the
1: historical perspective is like he's not into one thing not even a little
0: bit it's just like oh let me see this car yeah I feel like I can drive it as long as it's a car yeah that's that's his big thing his handling is so above everybody else's with his I feel like his knowledge with the car he's just like literally I'll do it on dirt I'll do it on I'll do it in a in a city I don't care he has like the Ricky Bobby attitude of break
1: it Pepe Le Pew
0: (laughs) well it's true man he hated crepes he's an Italian American (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Maron. all right uh in 64 he ends up becoming a naturalized citizen yep which had to have been such an amazing thing for these andrettis that coming to this country i remember him saying when he came when he was 15 they came through ellis island like so many people did but when you see the statue of liberty is like we saw that old lady and we all made that like realization like oh we're here our yeah. lives are going to change.
1: Our lives are going to change because the streets are paved with gold and we're making the American dream happen in a race car.
0: Well, you say the streets are paved with gold, but they show up and there's a track right there and it's that's where the gold comes from. That's so exactly that's where the gold yeah. comes
1: from. Um, but uh, he starts in the U.S. Automotive Club for stock cars in 65 and then uh, eventually won a race in 67 and finished seventh in points. And... Uh, Down the road, he uh, ends up winning in 67, which makes him an anomaly because, like you said, he'll race on any track and any car that he wants to. He wins the 67 Daytona 500.
0: Well, this is what I find so interesting from 60... Essentially, when he gets his citizenship, 64, 65, to about, like, 80 when he starts doing Formula One, he jumps around to everything. Yeah. Like, if they have a racing competition... You're gonna see Mario Andretti entering, and you're just gonna be like, "God damn! There's that little Italian man. Why is back this again?
1: Why is this five foot three Guinea beating all of us? That's the other or it thing. Should be, why is this five
0: foot three Guinea yes. beating all of us? I don't know, but we better do something <laughs> because he literally is not just competing in all these different events, but like we're about to go through, he's winning all these different events. The NASCAR sixty seven Daytona Five Hundred. Um, and then he gets into this thing called the international race of champions. Yep. Did you see that? Yeah, I Which saw that. Which was billed as like the all-star game for racing, but he he dominates. And, you know, he
1: finished second in 75, 76, and 77, 78, and then he wins, wins it, it, it in 78, 79. Yeah. And it, then peppered in there, I want to bring up the... There's so
0: many others. Yeah. Um, Sprint cars, 60, 64 win at Salem Speedway.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even though he finished third in the Indy 500 65,
0: he's still that you know units rookie of the year. Oh yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is we're jumping around, but he has so many wins throughout this. All he does is win, win, win. Sixties, <laughs> late sixties, seventies era. That he is so ridiculously amazing, and he keeps kicking ass because in sixty
1: seven and sixty uh, or sixty seven and sixty eight, he uh, ends up. Uh, Barely losing out to uh, AJ Foyt and Bobby Unser in the uh, Indy 500, but 69 was his year. Like, if you look at it, 69 was Mario Andretti's probably crowning achievement. Yes. Because not only does he win the Indy 500 and in season championship, he basically showcases to the world how much of a badass is he is. Because from 66 to 69 he wins 24 of 85 races
0: well i want to bring this up so this is when he's IndyCar and they call it champ car yeah champ car um he meets up with this guy rufus gray but he really meets up with his mechanic right m- his mechanic Clint uh Bronner, i believe is his name and what he was talking shit because people were like hey, you should go check out this guy, Mario. And he was like, well, I don't really want sprint car guys because literally they were dying. Oh, the death rate was insane. And he said, like, those guys are insane. I don't want them. They're not like real racers. He went and saw Mario once, and he said he was just like, oh, this is our new racer. And essentially went out and was like, hey, we'll sponsor you for IndyCar. I'll be your pit guy. And... Like you were saying, 69, everything comes together, comes together and they essentially win nine races as a team, including the Indy 500 and the season championship.
1: Winning either the Daytona 500 or Indy 500 is like a benchmark for a career. Like you do that, you're golden. Winning both? Holy fucking
0: Yeah, <laughs> it proves what a versatile driver he is because he is so ridiculous like yeah and this is when he essentially uh, all this stuff is happening in these late 60s he meets up with colin chapman who's a formula one owner of the uh, lotus team yeah and he says hey one day i kind of want to do formula one and he goes Okay, call me as soon as you're ready. And then 68, 69 season, he has this amazing season, and he calls him, and he's like, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready to remake all of your cars and make them badass. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's pretty ridiculous what he does for Formula One because this is, like we were saying, he comes from absolutely idolizing Alberto Ascari, and that's where Ascari pretty much made his fame Exactly was formula one in these grand prix in these, you know, essentially Italian grand prix that he got to watch. And he teams up with, actually he does like part time. Yeah. He like moonlights almost because he has so much other racing going on because yeah. we see him still doing all this other racing, but he part times with, uh, I saw it was interesting. He part times with Lotus and Ferrari and, and i think one other company but he actually wins the uh, i think the brazilian grand prix with ferrari
1: yeah he just is like oh there's there's a track well
0: he's part timing it just <laughs> yeah. to just to make that clear like he's winning grand prix while he's still doing all this other racing and i feel like formula 1 is the one that's the most different yeah cuz single seater single seater with the courses
1: yeah much lower to the ground than everything else.
0: Oh, now we're going to get into that low ground. All yeah. right. <laughs> but uh yeah, in
1: 77 he won the uh, US Grand Prix in uh, I believe Long Beach and then in uh, 78 he won uh, the uh, Italian Grand Prix.
0: All right, now I got to I got to go back just a sec. Okay, go I, back. I got to go back to in 77 there was, they had these Lotuses. Yes. So or actually, no, let me go back because when he starts to become full-time formula one, he um, partners up with Panari. Well, yeah. I know I'm saying that wrong. Um, and they do a year and then they fold. So the team folds and he's furious and he teams back up with Lotus who he's kind of done some stuff with, but Lotus is on the downswing. They can't, They can't make the right car. They can't get a competitive car. So they keep losing all these great drivers because they can't create a competitive car. And this is where I think Mario's greatest asset comes is he can pretty much perfect and show them what they need to perfect a great car. So in 77, um, hold on, I want to see this because it's in... It was the Lotus 76, excuse me. He said the car was so bad on straightaways that it's his best year of driving because he had to make up so much, essentially, time on curve, on turns. He was like, I had to, like be beating guys by 0.3 seconds on every single turn with this car because the straightaway was so bad. But all it did was make him
1: a better driver.
0: And this is the first year he's with Lotus. And then Lotus has this thing called ground effect. Yes. And ground effect is where it gives it more downforce without causing drag. Yeah. So it essentially just makes the car like faster and easier to control. Exactly. And Mario takes that And that's when you see him dominate Formula One. It's like giving him cheat codes, and that's not fair. (laughs) So this is so the 76 is awful. The uh, because this is how the cars come out. They come out like by the year. The 77 is way improved. Like you said, he wins four races, like the one in Long Beach, and then the 78 comes out. And actually, no, no, I'm sorry. It's the Lotus 79. Yeah. And his partner Ronnie Pearson. Ronnie Peterson. Peterson, yeah. Is it Peterson or, I thought yes. it was Pearson?
1: I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was I read Pearson. I wrote okay. down my notes.
0: <laughs> I read I wrote down Peterson. Damn it. We well, could be wrong. We both could both be wrong. Well, he said that he got to try the car out first because obviously Mario's doing all this other shit. And Mario calls him and he's like, and I know Ronnie. And he's like, being coy and i'm like well how's the car handle and he's like eh, it's okay you know yeah. it's going around corners okay i mean i think i think you're going to like it just fine and he said as soon as he came out and tried out this lotus 79 nobody else was getting close to either of them in these in this year no the team they competed on was just dominating and it yeah. had all to do with what mario said was them adjusting the car to their the way that they could drive and this ground effect pretty much like revolutionizing these cars. Yeah, no, totally. Um,
1: unfortunately,
0: yep. And that's, that's where Grand Prix, yep. The Italian Grand Prix. Um, this was something else that I saw him say was he felt like there was animosity from other drivers that him and Ronnie were, almost showboating a bit
1: yeah and they were kicking the shit out of people
0: and they're kicking the shit out of people attack and i'm pretty sure this is the italian grand prix where ronnie crashes first lap and he ends up dying well the, he later. said he said the crash was the other driver's fault yeah and was suspect yeah mm-hmm. which i just want to say how fucked up that is because he said that he was just like next year if i wasn't winning the world championship ronnie was gonna win it yeah It, it was like that kind of thing and um another thing that he said because he had a bunch of burns in both of his legs um this is the medical establishment of that era was they felt like his injuries shouldn't have caused his death yeah and Nowadays, it would have been like a wrongful death suit that they essentially, Easily. yeah. yeah. Um, and they, they, there was a bunch of animosity coming off of this, which he, he states, Mario Andretti states that this should have been one of, if not the happiest day in his racing career. And it turned out to be one of his worst.
1: They didn't even celebrate after he won the race. Not
0: even a tiny bit. They no, were, they no. were just like- There was no, yeah. I, I lost
1: one of my best friends Yeah, and our team lost Ronnie Pearson.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like. No, it, it's awful. It's to think like yeah, no, it's so awful.
1: Yeah. But uh goes to IndyCar, eighty-two to ninety-four, and you know, even in his forties, he's still beating people.
0: Yeah, he's still winning races. Um in India like this, they call it the Andretti curse. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. They I think he only I think he only finished five indie car races. He entered like over thirty over 20, and um, he only ended up finishing five because his car just always shits out. Well, and not only that, both his
1: sons, Michael and Jeff, who also race, haven't won? Yep. And then uh, his nephew, John, too.
0: Well, we got to talk about this, the uh, the podium. The podium, yes. So, actually, let's go back because... I'm reading this real quick. Sorry. Michael and Jeff both started racing, um, and in fifth in June 15th 86 in Portland Father's Day. Yeah. So this is an 86. Um, Michael who was who was a better racer everyone said Michael was just like the next, you know. And Jeff was good, but Michael yeah. was always like the better. Um, he said he was up by two laps yeah. in oh, Portland. Yeah, all this great. And he was like our car was having trouble picking up the last whatever five gallons of of fuel so literally he's on the last lap and his car's engine won't pick up the fuel but it's sputtering yeah so like he's on in this like ridiculously nice car that's just like uh." and then he literally sees his dad coming up on the last straightaway right behind him and he's like i see my dad in the rear and my car just dies oh, so like man. it just won't pick up fuel and then as soon as my dad gets next to me it picks up fuel and you can see it it's yeah such no, it's so cool it's yeah it's one of the best racing things and it, it literally they both pick up right at the same time and mario andretti ends up winning
1: and you can see him at the finish line they're both looking at each other yep it it would remind me if my dad and i were racing cars yeah. except mario would be giving the middle finger to me <laughs>
0: So Mario wins by the closest margin ever. And one of the great moments post uh, race is Michael looks at him and says, Happy Father's Day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Good stuff. But
1: uh, yeah, he, keep, he races into his 50s, yeah, I which that's... I find is so fascinating. Oh, man. Because he keeps basically dominating. His last win was in 1993. So he's a 53-year-old man winning at Phoenix International Speedway. I love that.
0: That win is so awesome. And then I love in 1991, Milwaukee He himself, Michael, and Aldo's son, John, Yeah. all take one, two, and three on this podium. So it's literally an Andretti podium. And that's never happened before, and it'll never happen again. And if you think about it,
1: it's the late 1940s you're fleeing your home with all the shit you can put in a truck and then in america 50 years later 40 years later 40 yeah you're on On top of the world on top of the world and in in a sport that is very european very worldwide and you're just giving the middle finger to everybody. That's amazing.
0: Well, I want to say this, and this is why Mario Andretti is so important, is Americans dominate a lot in American sports. Yeah. Mario Andretti dominated in this worldwide
1: sport. He dominated in a worldwide sport, but then you look at his record in NASCAR. You look at his stock car That's racing, what I mean. All it's of like, it. oh, my God. All of it,
0: yeah. It's, It's unbelievable. But his... This is what his father essentially, beyond his father's wildest dreams, why, and why it's so important. And I saw in his later life he ends up owning a giant farm, and he said that that was the only thing he really wanted his father to see was this cycle, this, this comeback that the Andrettis get this family farm it's, later in life.
1: Dude, and I mean I probably know it more than anybody else with the way that I grew up, it's all legacy-based. It's all passing it down and bettering everything no matter whether it's taken from you. I mean, this is a guy, 1986, the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway Hall of Fame, driver of the year in 67, 78, 84, driver of the century by the AP in uh, the late 20th century. I mean, this guy is in every Hall of Fame you could think of as far as racing. Uh, I believe he's, October 23rd, 2006, uh, commendatore by the uh, Italian government, which is like our uh, highest civilian honor for like the presidential medal of freedom. He was named since 2007, the mayor of the Croatian town that he's from for all of the Italian exiles. I mean, he's a hero to everybody everywhere.
0: Yeah. And he is like the sports figure that you want to idolize. A lot of the time we have these, post career stories yeah he is such a great human being that this is one of these ones that i didn't know really much about him and it it was one of my favorite episode when i
1: when i saw history in exile i was just like giddy up like (laughs) honestly i was just like this oh my god i know entirely too much about this outside of sports
0: <laughs> and that's from me and nikki Tandy. hey everybody this is just a stock message at the end of every episode we hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about just want to say give us a quick follow on all social media we have a youtube channel the sports experience podcast and we're on instagram to tola dominic and myself c quinn comedy so give us a follow all around Um, We're always recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much.